Drawing a distinction between fake and real news is going to be hard for those Facebook and Google employees tasked with bird-dogging offending sites. But it shouldn't be so hard for you, the consumer. Melissa Zimdars, professor of communication and media at Merrimack College, has made a list of more than 100 problematic news sites, along with tips for sorting out the truthful from the troublesome. She got into the fake news sorting racket after a hot tip. Someone alerted me to the fact that when you searched for the popular vote on Google, the first Google news item that came up was a fake news website saying that Hillary Clinton lost the popular vote. Mm -hmm. And that's when I was like, yeah, we need to (laughs) teach our students how to navigate this. Tell me what the reaction's been to the doc. I received hundreds of emails saying, oh, this made me think about a particular website that I go to a lot. Maybe I need to read more broadly. Or some people said, yeah, I've been concerned about this website too. But I will say in the last 24 hours, the tide has turned a little bit. A lot of the websites on the list are now encouraging their readers to send me information about how they feel. (laughs) And so now there's been sort of an onslaught of personally negative commentary from them. So you're getting trolled. Majorly trolled, yes. In fact, hasn't Breitbart and other websites fingered you as a target in the latter part of this week? They most definitely have. I seem to have become the poster child for censorship and for rejecting alternative points of view in favor of the media, in quotes. Mm -hmm. You have basically lumped a bunch of these fake news sites or semi-fake news sites into four categories. Flat-out fake is number one. Reports in a way that's connected to the truth but lacks context quotes, verifiability is two. Three is just plain clickbait. Four is satire, and of course, some of them can be all of those things. Part of the reason why you've gotten legitimate pushback is because satire sites don't want to be on a list marked fake. Yeah, but I will say, actually, several satire websites sent me links to their list saying, we don't want to be confused as actual news. You should add us to the list. (laughs) I think satire is fantastic. I think it serves a really important political and social purpose. But satire can also be misunderstood and has been, and a lot of communication studies show this. Well, how do you account for the fact that clickbait is increasingly becoming a practice among reputable news sources that put a headline which could very well be misleading, like uh, one in the Huffington Post, Bernie Sanders could replace President Trump with little-known loophole. Yeah, and what's crazy about that example is it was meant to teach people about clickbait headlines and (laughs) verifying their sources, but undoubtedly that got shared (laughs) by people who only read the headline. Now, you characterize Breitbart as a two and a three. Tell me why. So a three is often because they rely on hyperbole. Just scrolling through a lot of their headlines, there seems to be sometimes a disconnect even between the headline and the article. But they've also published a lot of stuff during the election that isn't really verifiable. And really good journalists have looked at that coverage, especially now that Bannon is part of Trump's team. 
I think it kind of vacillates between stuff grounded in truth that's potentially informing to readers of the website, but other content that does a disservice to their readers. So let's get to the sites that are downright false. This was probably the most useful part of the list for me. How can you identify them? Their web design, you can almost always tell all caps, exaggerated, photoshopped visuals, and oftentimes just by their strange domain names. So instead of msnbc.com, you have msnbc.com.co. You said we should avoid websites that end in L-O, as in Newslow. Yeah, that tip came from a blogger by the name of Ed Brayton. You know, these sites might have a bit of accuracy to them, but they're usually detextualized or contain otherwise false or misleading facts. Then there are the things that are cleverly designed to mislead, like an old article circulating as if it's breaking news. The first thing to do when you open something that interests you is to look immediately at the date. What do you do about the in-between sites like BuzzFeed community posts or Forbes blogs? They're certainly not fact-checked, but they do exist under the banner of legitimate organizations. Exactly. And I think that makes it more difficult for people to navigate because they see the Forbes logo and they assume it's going through the same editing process. So I feel like there needs to be greater awareness than buried at the bottom of the post that this was submitted by a reader or a blogger unaffiliated or employed by those websites. Probably the single most helpful hint you've given readers is to do a gut check. If this story makes you really angry, it's probably a good idea to keep reading about the topic on other sources. Yeah, these stories can make you really angry through capital letters, through the types of terms they use, like so-and-so will destroy Donald Trump or whatever (laughs) it may be. These sources are definitely coming from a certain perspective. Persuasive opinion writing isn't a problem, but when it's framed as more neutral or objective-style reporting, that's when there's a problem. And you suggest that it wouldn't hurt to check the About Us tab on the website? If you can find one, sometimes when you're on these sites, it's very difficult to figure out even who's publishing the website. So if there is an About Us tab, definitely check it. Otherwise, see if there's Wikipedia pages. See if other websites have reported on them. But I think part of the problem is a lot of people whose messages in these websites, even if they find another website saying that that information or the website is false— they might think that these other critical websites are just trying to prevent the truth from coming out. Yeah, but the thing is, is that if you keep digging, if you really care enough to get beyond your own confirmation bias, you can come to the truth. Totally. And I think all of the discussion about fake news, it is at the very least generating a discussion. I even have family members texting me that they had never thought about this before and Now they feel like they will pay attention more to what they're circulating. And most of the emails I receive echo the same sentiment. And that's the goal. We're going to post a link to your Google Doc and on themedia.org. And Melissa, I want to thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. 
Melissa Zimdars is a professor of communication and media at Merrimack College. You can find a link to the Breaking News Consumer's Handbook Fake News Edition at our website, onthemedia.org.co. Just kidding. Just onthemedia.org. That's it for this week's show. On the Media is produced by Mira Sharma, Alana Casanova-Burgess, Jesse Brenneman, and Paige Cowett. We had more help from Micah Lowinger, Sarah Kari, and Leah Fetter, and our show was edited by Brooke. Our technical director is Jennifer Munson. Our engineer this week was Casey Holford. Katya Rogers is our executive producer. Jim Schachter is WNYC's vice president for news. Bassist composer Ben Allison wrote our theme. On the Media is a production of WNYC Studios. I'm Brooke Gladstone. And I'm Bob Garfield. Support for On the Media comes from the Overbrook Foundation and the listeners of WNYC Radio.